0: Welcome to another episode of Between the Notes. I'm Rich and Keith. Great to have you back. I tell you, today's episode is—I mean, they're all special. Let's be honest, but today's episode feels particularly special. Yes, sir. Because we're going to be talking about some of our favorite live albums. Um, We each have a top five. Similar, this is similar to kind of what we did with the guitarist, right? Episode. Uh, we each brought a top five, and we can tell you up top that it's actually going to be more like a top nine because there's one overlap between us, right? And the rest are different, but
1: that's going to give us a lot of uh, a lot of meat to chew on for this episode. So, well, for me, and I know I'm sure it was for you too, but I had a very difficult time narrowing it down to five. Oh, because so- there's so many wonderful iconic yeah. live albums out there. Yeah, I- I'm sure.
0: I don't know, uh, you know, I'm sure you did kind of like me, that, that you you think about one and you go, yep, yep, that's going to go on the list, and then you you get to thinking about others and you go, oh, wait a second, I don't know if I can leave that one off. Right. That one maybe needs to go on there, you know, sort of thing. So uh, I know I had one in particular I was telling you that uh, I, I ha- it was on there and then I took it off and then I put it back on again. Right. Just, you know, so, yeah. Now, I, you kind of have a little bit of a different experience with – live performances than i do i literally have especially the ones that i've listened to i've got on my list i've never been to any concerts of any of them i've seen them live through i've seen them recorded live right um but uh i've i've never actually been to any of their concerts Uh, whereas i know you've been to some on your list you've been to some on my list as well um how does that for you? How does having seen them live performing live? How does that influence uh, or uh uh kind of dictate some to you the importance of a live album or whether they're sort of a top
1: fi- top
0: favorite live band, you know, when you go see them that sort of thing?
1: Well, for me, a live album, especially if I've seen the band live, is sort of a memento of mm-hmm. that performance that I got to see. Sure. I mean, just to give you an example, just recently, I purchased uh, Iron Maiden's Book of Souls Live chapter. Oh, nice! Yeah. On vinyl, mm-hmm. and I saw that show last year, so I was there. I saw the show, so now I have uh, sort of a little keepsake, if you will, uh, from that show. So nice. that makes it a little bit more special. Sure. To see the band, and and now some of them on my list that I've got here, I didn't see. On these particular tours and so forth and so on, but I have seen some of them live before, so right. I understand, uh, you know how how they do things live, and right. and I've been there. I can I can say I've seen them and I've been there. Right, so. right. Um,
0: it, live albums are really very special, and and I'll I'll be honest. I there there's something about, and it took me a while to warm up to live performances because uh, first of all because I think I didn't go and see bands in concert very much at all growing up um, even during the formative years when I was sort of this stuff was really coming onto my radar I didn't go see them and so for me listening to a live performance just didn't do it for me and there is I think there is something that's lost in just listening to a live performance not to say that that uh, it, it doesn't it can't still impact you or you know move you or any anything of that nature but watching a band play live versus just listening to them play live. Uh, Because I I know uh, when I watch uh, like a a YouTube clip or something of a band playing live versus just listening to that same piece of music, perhaps there is something different. And it kind of connects with me, you know, in a more visceral way and makes me more likely to go, yeah, I gotta have that, or or that really that really moves me. That's something that I really sort of latch onto and sort of hook into. Um, but live albums, it took me a while to warm up to live performances. I I was very much sort of in the you know the studio uh, performances, the best performance kind of thing. Right. And eventually, as time has gone on, I've gotten more into appreciating. The live version of a particular song that I may like And in some cases actually like it In fact there's one on,
1: on the list that we're going to talk about That I actually prefer the live version over the studio version That that actually rings true with a lot of songs for me mm-hmm. um, Now there's some songs that are hard to pull off live If there's a lot of production A lot of overdubs and stuff like that mm-hmm. uh, It's you know Unless you have a, a play into a track or something Which a lot of bands do uh, these days because, uh, quite honestly, it's impossible to pull off certain songs live. Right. Um, you know, based on what they did in the studio. Sure. But there are some versions of songs that I prefer the live version. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of it I think has to do with just the energy. Yeah. That you feel off of it. You know, Absolutely. The, the crowd, uh, brings that energy. The band yeah. feeds off of it. The band has the energy, the crowd feeds off of it. Mm-hmm. So it's like this circle. Yeah. Um, one feeds the other. Yeah, absolutely. And and it it's a it's a beautiful thing to be a part of. Uh I've been there. I've been on the front row of many many a concert. I've stood down in the uh what is referred to now as the mosh pit. You know? <laughs> right, right. Um uh, I've been down in there in the in the sweaty uh throes of you know live concerts. Right. Uh and uh it's, it's a good uh, way of
0: that's really that's a really that's quite a picture you've painted right the, the sweaty throes it, of a live
1: concert. It's pretty uh it's pretty intense down there at times <laughs> and it can get it can get um you know very crowded but if you if you if you're down there seeing a band that you love and you want to get as close to them as you can right that's a special feeling sure uh you know I've sat in the nosebleed seats and you don't. Sometimes you don't even feel like you're a part of it. Oh, sure. You know, yeah, you, well, I'm way up here. I can barely see them. They're not playing to me. They're playing for the first ten rows. Right. Right. And uh, you don't feel like you're a part of it. But man, now I'm too old to get down there in the mosh pit anymore. Right. It's just. It's not worth it. <laughs> you're, o- you're okay with a little bit of distance. I'll take a seat. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but I remember what it was like. Uh, sure. many many bands that I have been uh, very close to, um, I've. I've played Steve Vai's guitar. I was going to say you (laughs) told that story on the guitarist episode about playing Steve Vai's guitar, man. Um, I've slapped hands with Paul Shortino of Rough Cut. You know, I've I've been down there, yeah, and it's a special thing. It's fun, yeah, but that was years ago, and I don't do that anymore. (laughs) But uh, it was a it was a good time, yeah, and it's a special thing about a live performance, yeah, and uh, I think if a live album can capture that that energy and that feeling and if it if you listen to it and it can put you right back in the audience yeah then that's the good stuff yeah they've done it right yeah i i
0: totally agree and and i know especially when i was going through and making my list that was one of the things that i really kept in mind is is this an album is this a live album live album for me that uh, uh really sort of for lack of a better term uh Transports me to a place right. that is, is is sort of it envelops me. You know, I I I like the 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 feeling of being just completely almost consumed by the music because of that energy that right. very energy if it's captured really well and that's the thing i love a live album that really captures not just the energy of the band but like you said the energy of the crowd as well right and that feeding that's going on between them that that very symbiotic relationship that's happening i absolutely love that and that, and that's one of the things that I, where i get a real rise out of a, a live album If 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 for me if i wasn't able to be there personally it makes me feel like i am there right like i'm i'm a part of this performance whatever it is and and uh and that's just something that makes it that just that much more special for me especially not having been to see a lot of these guys or any of these guys actually that's on my list uh actually live so right well should we get right into it sounds like a great idea all right man well, like I said, we got 9 of these because there's there's 10 overall but one overlap, so there's there's 9 of them together.
1: So so uh, everybody uh, needs to just get comfortable. So just this buckle is going to be up, a man. long cut podcast. I mean, <laughs> y-
0: you know, the the guitarist episode was 2 hours. I mean, you could be here for.
1: So just just hold on.
0: Just hold on. So uh but uh all right, well let's uh should we start with my number 5? You want to start with Sounds my number 5? Sounds good. Five? Go right. for it. All right. All right. Well, my number 5 on my list is Scorpions worldwide live. Great album. I absolutely. I'm a huge Scorpions fan. I have been for many many years and and came into them much the same way I suppose a lot of people did, probably my age, you know, when they were, you know, getting a lot of radio play with Big City Night and you know all that kind of stuff. Right. Uh that's sort of where I came in and then going back and and sort of retrofitting their their uh you know repertoire into sort of learning more about them and that sort of stuff, uh, but these guys this the 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 thing that amazes me about about this band when you read about them is how amazed that, that they've been around so long. Most people don't kind of realize they've been around since the mid '60s, yeah. And but most people don't know them except for their stuff that came out maybe late '70s into the early mid '80s, that sort of thing. Um, this uh, the song that I've picked. Off of this particular album because there's so many. I mean, it's just a great album from top to bottom. It's one of it's again. It's one of those albums that I can listen. I can you know start with track one and work my way all the way through and never take a break. Uh, but I picked the song Blackout,
1: and of course that comes from the album Blackout. That that's was, a great album too. Yeah,
0: that's a fantastic album. That was
1: my introduction to the Scorpion. This was Blackout. Oh, album. was it? Yeah, 1983, I think, <clears throat> is when I bought that album. Mm-hmm. And that was my my first scorpions album and yeah. that was that was the one that
0: had uh, no one like you right. and 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 can't live without you and i think there may have been one other hit off of that album but they, it, that was sort of the i think that was the first album that they had a real kind of big commercial hit from right and uh, and there's a lot of people that came into them from that particular album um i one of the interesting stories about the blackout album and subsequently of course the the tour that came as a result of that was I love the fact that you know we've talked about how heavy metal and hard rock is like one big happy family and and uh Don Dockin had actually been brought in during that album uh because uh Klaus was having vocal trouble right and so you know they 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 bring in Don to to come in and you know do some vocals and all that kind of stuff and fortunately Klaus had he had the surgeries he needed he got the rehab he needed and he was right back on top of it again and it's amazing too i mean when you listen to this guy you th- it, it kind of blows me away when you listen to worldwide live and you go this guy actually had his throat like cut and had the thing, had things right. done with his vocal <laughs> cords you know and he's still going strong and he still is today as a matter of fact i yeah, mean if you listen still to sing. i mean it's amazing to me Uh, But this album was recorded actually in in five different shows. It was recorded in 1984, 1984, three in California, one in France, one in West Germany at the time, which is just Germany now. Um, And one of the reasons I actually picked this particular song, and this is we were talking about how there are uh, certain live songs that I like better, that we like better than the studio versions. And this is exactly one of those. I actually prefer... The Blackout, the version of Blackout on this album To actually the original studio version of Blackout I feel the
1: same way about Big City Nights on this yeah, album Yeah, absolutely uh, The live version has got so much energy It's just, it, there's
0: something When you listen to it And we're going to play a little clip here uh, 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 About two minutes of it Of the song uh, here in just a second But when you listen to it it's actually it's a little faster. There's a bit more of dr- there's a bit more drive to it, which I really like. They tend to do that live, and I just I love it. it bands just, do. Yeah, I, I just absolutely love it. I, I think in many many ways it's absolutely superior to the to the studio version, and I love the studio version, but I just think that this is so. So we're gonna play a little bit of Blackout, and we'll come back in just a minute. So that was blackout uh and that was off the worldwide live album and that came out in 85 and i just i just love the driving rhythm of that song just that it's it's i mean from from the word go it's, i mean and, it's and a it, fist pumper it, it is and um i mean that like i said it's not only one of my favorite scorpion songs it's i actually prefer that version of the of the song and and uh one of the reasons why I love the album. So. there's just
1: so many great songs on this album. I, I love uh loving you sunday morning. Oh yeah. That's a good one too. Absolutely. It's a little bit of a, it's a slightly different um uh rhythm you know compared yeah. to what we just heard off a of blackout, right. right? Um I just lie like the way they do it. live. It's mm-hmm. great.
0: Yeah, they I and it, to me it again reinforces why I think Scorpions are
1: just one of the greatest bands of all time. Uh all right. Well, what's not what's your number 5? My number 5 is one of those, uh, iconic live albums. If, you know, that if you have a album by this particular band, if you only own one album, it needs to be this one. And that's Cheap Trick at Budokan. Amen, brother. I mean, there's, I love Cheap Trick. It's a great album, man. Uh, I have a lot of their albums and, uh, but this one right here is, I mean, it's right up there with Frampton Comes Alive or something. you forgot got to sure. have Cheap Trick at Budokan. Yeah. And, uh, uh, of course, the the big song off of this album is uh, "I Want You to I want, want Me." You. Yeah, I really. Want you it's to want me. it's played on the radio at least three or four times a day on classic rock radio, uh, and so we're not going to play it here. Mm-mm. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Uh, but honestly, Hold that- on, just just for a second, just just pause for a second.
0: Let everybody just play it in their mind because they can do it. Oh yeah, sure.
1: You know, so, <laughs> <laughs> but uh uh, I I have. The first time I ever heard that song, "I Want You to Want Me," was not off of at Budokan. It was off of Cheap yeah. Tricks in Color, mm-hmm. which is the studio album that it's on. And the live version just blows the studio version away. Absolutely, it's almost a different song. Mm-hmm. It's really, really different. Mm-hmm. So uh, I can see why you know that became such a big hit. Uh, but there's this whole album is fantastic yeah. front to back. Um is very energetic. It was recorded at Budokan, Japan. Mm-hmm. Uh they uh Cheap Trick uh really got a lot of exposure by opening for Kiss mm-hmm. in Japan. Uh Cheap Trick was one of the uh bands that Kiss kinda helped get going. Yeah. Uh the uh, song that we're gonna choose off of this is one that probably a lot of people haven't heard. It's more like a deep cut, I guess you could say. Sure. But uh I wanna I wanna play look out. Okay. Uh, This is a really good song. Um, It's got great energy. And uh, give it a shot. Check it out. Absolutely.
0: So that was cheap trick, lookout, and that was from the at Budokan album. And um, to me, that's it. Seems like there's been several bands that have recorded at Budokan. Yes, but this is the one when I think of a live album at Budokan. This is the one I
1: think. Oh, of. Oh yeah, lots of bands have done it. Dream Theater's done it. Yep, there is a live Budokan album from Dream Theater. Uh, but yeah, this is the one, you know. <laughs> yeah,
0: and and yeah, I I know you were mentioning while we were listening to it you, the the politeness of the Japanese crowds. Right. And you yeah. hear the you hear the the screaming and the applause, and then very quiet during the very quiet during the song. Right. And then you know back again. You know, so <laughs> they're uh, they the that the almost the formality of their of their of their excitement. You right. Know, which is yeah. Quite interesting. So, um, yeah, great album, man. Great song. I love that. That's a that, that's a fantastic song off that album. So. Um all right well uh let's take a look at number 4 my number 4 is um Pink Floyd Pulse what a fantastic album oh. and again this is one uh, that I actually saw this before I sort of listened to the album I did too um and that's how I was interd- introduced to Pulse uh first through kind of clips and stuff you can see on YouTube and then I finally sat down and watched the whole thing. Um and uh I I just a big part of the reason why this particular album hits me, this particular live album hits me is because this was recorded during the Division Bell tour in 94 and a Division Bell is just that's my jam when when it comes to Pink Floyd. That's just the one that I get warm fuzzies when I listen to that album.
1: <laughs> there's some really good songs on I, that album.
0: I mean, I just, I, you know, and David Gilmore is just my guy. I just, you know, I know there's, you know, uh, you know, with the either the leadership, some people are, you know, Roger Waters and some people are David Gilmore. And it's like, guys, guys, can't we all just get along, you For know, kind of thing, you know, because I, I just I love I love it all. And um, and these are the, you know. The thing about Pink Floyd is, th- I mean, this is th- these guys were pioneers in live performances. I mean, they they had these incredible stage shows. Yes, and they really, for you know, pun intended, they really set the stage for a lot of people and the way that they approach their live performances and the way they go about um, putting themselves out there in their live performances for their audiences.
1: Well, some most of the shows for that Pulse tour. Had to be in a very very large hall or a stadium, yeah. because of the size, yep. the enormity of the show, uh, and it's uh, I, the, my first exposure to this. I was at a uh, a uh, record store, if you will, that is no longer in business, and uh, they had the big screen up, and and uh, I was in there shopping around one day, and they had Pulse up playing up on it, mm-hmm. and I was like, whoa, that looks pretty cool. And I actually walked out with it that day. Oh, did you really? And and I'm dating myself a little bit. I bought it right after it came out. So it was brand new. So this was on VHS. Okay, okay. (laughs) So I had this on VHS. And then uh, later on when DVD became the big thing, uh, I purchased it on DVD. Mm -hmm, And it's just a fantastic show. It's one of my all-time favorite shows to sit and, not just to listen to so much, but to sit and watch. Yeah, just watch. Because the visual aspect of it is just as... Fantastic as the uh, the audible or the sonic uh, part of it as yep. well. So it's almost it's almost one of them things where I, I've got to I've got to sit and watch it too. Yeah, you
0: you almost can't just listen to it. You really well. In fact, I, to be perfectly honest with you, when I was going through and sort of listening for the show and kind of trying to determine what song I wanted to use and stuff, I kept popping over to youtube to kind of to oh, see yeah. if i could find <laughs> clips and watch it and that sort of stuff cuz you, you, there's just something about watching and the song in particular that i i want to play a little bit from is the song coming back to life which is my, my favorite my favorite yes um and in particular my favorite as well on, on that tour just watching david gilmour play that guitar just, the master. i mean he just caresses that thing and i mean it's just uh, it just melts me every time. I mean, I absolutely love that guy. And uh, and it was a very personal song. Uh, it was written about his wife, or I think at the time soon-to-be-wife, Polly. And I, there's something about the live version of this song. I love the studio version of this song because I love that album. But when you listen to this version, and we're going to play maybe about three minutes of it because it's a fairly, fairly lengthy, it's about six, seven minutes long. Uh, at least in the live version there's a there's a there's a a grittiness there's a little extra something in Gilmore's voice yes when he plays uh, when he sings the very first part of this song and I don't know if it's just from all the touring or from you know cuz I mean I think the song is played somewhere in the middle of the of the the of the set, the, of the set. Yeah. but there's just something about it that just It just gets me every time, and I absolutely love the live version of this. I
1: I will agree with you because I love the live version. Even though the studio version's great, I love the live version better. Uh, I think the ladies that are doing the backup singing are more prominent in the live version. Yeah, You hear it better or more. I I was listening to it. As a matter of fact, uh, I was listening to it last night. Mm -hmm. Uh, My daughter and I were in the car, and I put it on and listened to it. And uh, I was noticing, I thought, you know what I'm used I'm so used to the live version more so than the studio mm-hmm. there's something missing and I was trying to figure out what it was I thought you don't hear the backup singing as much or yeah. it may not be at, at all right uh I don't think you hear it much at all really, I don't think you really do version uh so there is so much more flavor mm-hmm. in the live version and uh that's the one that I'm used to because I actually was listening to pulse way before I ever bought the division bell oh right right so that's the version that's burned into my memory, and then I prefer.
2: Yeah.
1: And uh, also a, a little side note on this album, they play the entire Dark Side of the Moon album. Yeah, they do. That's front to back, and uh, this, the, all of the song selections on this uh, Pulse album uh, and DVD are just spot on. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's beautiful! It's, it's perfect. Perfect. It really is. They, they even play a
0: couple of the the. Uh, sid barrett songs you know ones that hadn't been played in a long time right. from what i understand mm-hmm. and it's just it's just a really really nice tribute to him i think as well um and uh and the 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 influence that he brought especially to the early days of of pink floyd um well we're going to listen to a little bit of this like i said this is going to be about a three minute clip because i wanted to get gilmore's plan i also wanted to get a little bit of him singing and 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 this for the the song kind of kicks in a little bit but that very first part of the song just gets me every time so let's listen to a little bit of this and then we'll come back talk on the flip side so that was, uh, well, one of our all-time favorites. Yes. Coming back to life. And, and um, there's something really emotionally powerful about that performance. Um, I know we were talking a little bit about, when we were listening to it, we were talking a little bit about how when you watch these guys play live, you can sense the passion and the, and the, and the, the emotional depth uh, of the of their playing, they they're, they they literally are playing off of each other during this particular you know during this live performance. It's beautiful,
1: right? That they look at each other and they'll smile. Yeah. That the band interaction is good. And it, and when you watch this, the stage is massive. Yeah, it's very big, uh, but there are a lot of players on that stage. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things going on. Uh, backup singers. There's two percussionists. Uh, Nick Mason obviously, the main drummer mm-hmm. behind the kit. Right. And they have another percussionist doing all the extra stuff, the cowbell and the chimes, and there's another kid up there uh, that he will play as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's so much going on, uh, but the band is still feeling it. Yeah. They're into the performance, and they look like they're genuinely having a good time. Now, it's not a, it's not a bombastic show you know, like Trans-Siberian right. Orchestra or KISS or somebody, but, but there's a lot going on. Uh, great stage show, great lighting. Uh, so there's more to it than just the listening part, uh, for sure. Being able to watch it, and of course, a lot of this stuff you can see on the internet. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, check this, uh, check out this song coming back to life um, yeah. on YouTube or something.
0: Yeah, definitely. I, I would, uh, and I know you would too. I would highly recommend if you're looking for a live performance DVD or Blu-ray. To get and to watch, and not just listen to, but really sit down and 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 watch it. This is one for sure that to me is just way up there at the top. I completely it, agree. It, it it it's hard. In fact, it's hard not to listen to it, and not want to watch it. You yeah. know? And um, and there is something I know we were talking a little bit also about the differences between the studio album and the live version of that and you th- sometimes i think the the, the reason that there's a, a an emotional depth in the live version that you don't don't sometimes get in the studio version is you're in the studio and you, i know you can speak to this having done both you know you're in the studio you're in a particular headspace you're trying to technically get it right so that you can lay that track down so that it's it's of the best quality possible right. and sometimes it takes you it's got to take i would imagine you tell me I, it's got to take you out of that sort of emotionality of the moment for even for just long enough because you you you're trying to hit a a particular sort of milestone or mile marker if you will
1: especially as a drummer it's important to you know keep the time correctly and Mm -hmm. uh, be on the beat and and so forth and so on so uh, there is a lot more thinking involved but when you're playing live all that goes out the window sure you're just feeling it yeah uh, I've I have many times I've gone back and watched uh, uh, somebody what videoed our one of our performances and I'll I'll watch it and go oh, oh. I played it too fast huh. uh, I I'm off tempo I, I you know I, I shouldn't have played it that fast I need to slow down or right. I've got a uh, no more red bulls before performances <laughs> uh, you know something to that effect <laughs> right. and that happened once that's that's from experience but um yeah whenever you're playing it live you're just feeling it yeah. and if you make a mistake. Ninety-nine times out of a hundred, nobody's going to notice but you. But you. So right. you just you don't you don't let on like you messed up, and you just keep going. Yeah, and you just feel it. Yeah, it. Those.
0: You know, Bob Ross calls them uh the, those happy accidents. Right, happy you know, accidents. happy accidents. Yeah, exactly. So, a little, um, a little uh, offbeat right a little, here. a little something. Just this right. just stroke right here. Right here. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> let's put a happy little tree right in here. Uh, <laughs> so um,
1: well, that that that's um, that's coming back to life, and that's off pulse. Um. So, so a quick sidebar though yeah. to to the Pink Floyd stuff that we spoke about um i mean this is the david gilmore pink floyd yes obviously this is after roger waters had left uh you know when people think of classic pink floyd they think of the wall dark side of the moon right uh wish you were here that type of thing and of course that's where they made their uh fame mm-hmm. and got to be who they are really uh all but, during the waters era right all during the waters era But after Roger Waters split uh, from Pink Floyd, uh, he did his own solo stuff as well, and he has a fantastic band uh, as well. Yes. And uh, one that I can recommend, uh, you know, as an honorable mention is uh, Roger Waters' In the Flesh Live. Definitely. that's a fantastic show. Uh, The music is fantastic. The musicianship is fantastic. And it's very, I mean, it's very much, it's as much Pink Floyd as... Absolutely. ...as... uh, any of the stuff that Gilmore does, absolutely, but because he has a very similar, they have a very, very similar uh, uh, mindset when it comes to the writing, the music, and the type of music that it is. Yeah. So, uh, um, you know, both of those shows are fantastic.
0: Yeah, check it out.
1: Uh, even if you're not, even if you don't consider
0: yourself a Waters fan, or he's not, you know, you're more of a Gilmore guy like me versus you know Roger. Check this out because it's really, really good, and it, it, it kind of, in a lot of ways performances like that warmed me up to him a whole lot more oh absolutely. i mean i was always here i mean i'm a, i've always been a big fan of the wall and dark side of the moon and everything but but it really it, it gives you a little bit different perspective on him and and, and you're right I, I, it's
1: fantastic definitely check both of those out for sure um well what's your number four my number four is one that's probably going to surprise some people it's not one of those live albums that everybody hears about like at buddha or uh some of these others but um Uh, blue oyster cult extraterrestrial live that's excellent that's excellent this is an excellent album that's cool i've never
0: i i i would never equate blue oyster cult no offense against them but i would never equate blue oyster cult and live performance as being sort of on that radar because i think of them you know i guess i just think of them as an incredible studio band i mean you know they they put out incredible stuff i've always loved their stuff but I never would have thought, hey, I bet they put on a great
1: live show. But, thats I mean, that's awesome.
0: Have you, you seen them live?
1: Oh, yes, I have. I saw them in 1984. Oh. Uh, they they came, and uh, the reason I went it was because uh, at the time, um, the band Accept uh, had just released their Balls to the Wall album, and that's right. a great album. Mm-hmm. And I was really into Accept at the time, and I thought, they're opening for Blue Oyster Cult. I've got to go see them. So I did. And uh, me and a, a couple of my friends went. And, um, of course, I sat through the whole show. It was except Aldo Nova and Blue Orster Cult. Mm -hmm. And, uh, Blue Orster Cult came out and blew my mind. I thought, man, this is really good. Mm -hmm. And then that prompted me to go buy this album. I thought, man, that's really good stuff. And a, a friend actually recommended that I get this album. He said, it's really good. You should get it. If you like, if you enjoyed that show, you should get this album. Nice. So I did. And he was right. Nice. It's front to back, it's fantastic. Um, and and i think i think a lot of people are going to be scratching their head going bluster cult really you know right. seriously right. and and i they don't have you know the big bombs and flash pots and you know the, the big, yeah, and pyrotechnics stuff, yeah. and stuff and they're pretty much just a uh a standard live band but they do they do have some some pretty cool stuff and one of the cool things i'm going to uh incorporate into this podcast is the live version of Godzilla oh okay Because they actually uh, play up a little bit to that And get the crowd into it And it's uh, got a lot of energy And it's a great song Well that's awesome Let's take a listen
2: This is a song Requires a little imagination On the part of the audience here A lot of people don't think about it
3: Been in the news a lot lately You know Heightening tensions between the east and the west You know chance of nuclear destruction. They don't remember going way back long time ago when the United States was testing atomic weapons in the Pacific Ocean. way back in the early '50s when atomic testing was still above ground. little did they know when they set off one of those a-bombs. Lurking for millions of years encased in a block of ice Evil incarnate waiting to be melted down and to rise again Waiting only to take those giant
2: footsteps
3: something
2: like that, don't it? Sounds like something coming this way now? Sounds like Holy (laughs) God!
0: So that was Godzilla off of the extraterrestrial live album from Blue Oyster Cult. And I have to say, having heard that, that's, that was my first time. And uh, uh, I have to say that was really cool.
1: That was really cool. The whole album is really good like that. And uh, really for me, side four, and I'm going vinyl here, uh, that whole side of that album is fantastic. Uh, it's my favorite part of the album. Yeah. Um, I remember uh, when I was a kid, uh I actually had dubbed this down to a cassette tape to take with me on a trip to Texas mm-hmm. with my family yeah. when I was a kid and uh, I had put it in my Walkman and I'd listened to side four on this cassette tape nice while I was laying in the back of my parents station wagon with my earphones on at night. Yeah. Everything everybody else in the car is asleep except Dad, thank goodness. He was driving. <laughs> but um those you know, there's just little there's little things about a song That will take you back in time, right? To when you know a special time in your life or something, and that's where that album really takes me. That's cool. Is to that time, that trip, and uh, it's just a special thing for me. And I I love this album.
0: Isn't it amazing how music becomes so intertwined with our memories? It it can transport you someplace else. Absolutely. You can sit there, you know. I, I you know you can sit there today and put this on and close your eyes, and it takes you back that trip and 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 that that moment in time when that was just sort of sort of such a special thing you know Uh, it it, it is fascinating to me and I I absolutely love that I thought that's that's really unique you can tell these guys and again I guess forgive me I just never would have thought about Blue Oyster Cult as being this kind of I mean because there's some real showmanship going on in the way he sort of presents the song and sort of telling a story they're telling a narrative they're setting it up, and then uh, even di- even during the course of the song, the way that the the way that it's done is re- really unique in a lot of ways. It's that's it's fascinating.
1: And there's a drum solo in the middle of it, so yeah. you can't go wrong. <laughs> you can't, with can't that. go wrong with that. S- spoken from a drummer, but you know, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's part of the song too, and it's it's really cool. Of course, they don't do that in the studio version. The studio right. version of this song uh, is good but I don't think it holds a candle to the live version. That's really cool. And I know you were telling
0: me a little something interesting about the drummer during was it during this tour that 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 there was there was right. something different happened as if a result. You, if
1: you look at the back of the album cover, both drummers are on the back of the cover. There's like an artist rendering of the band mm-hmm. uh hanging out hanging out outside of a, a UFO it looks like. Mm-hmm and, uh, both drummers are present because, uh, Albert Bouchard was, uh, dismissed from the band. I don't know if that was by his own choice or the rest of the band. Right. Uh, for sure. But he left the band regardless. And, uh, the guy that took over was Rick Downey and, uh, he was their drum roadie, (laughs) (laughs) the drum tech. And, uh, he took over the drum duties for the rest of that tour. And, uh, Done an admirable job man and that's him on the live recording. that's him on the live I, now he is albert bouchard is on a couple of songs on this album okay uh but not godzilla that's rigged wow i mean kudos to that <laughs> guy i mean wow I and mean, not only a heck of a promotion but man he killed it yeah he's, I, he's, he's and i remember seeing him live in 1984 when i saw him i thought man that guy's really good yeah i really like this guy he's a great drummer that's fantastic man
0: i love that 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 I, I imagine that that like you said, and I, I guess you were talking about side four of the vinyl. Is that like the last four songs on the album? Yeah, this, I believe so. Basically, if
1: I recall correctly. Yeah, and, uh, and uh, my favorite song on this album uh, is "Veteran of the Psychic Wars." I didn't choose it for this particular podcast because it starts off a bit slow, hmm. and the song doesn't pick up till later on. And of course, we only play clips. Right. So I I figure well we'll just go with Godzilla because that's more upbeat and yeah it was fun. It's great. But uh, I'll, I'll I love this whole album, man. I gotta check. I'm gonna have to check that one out. That's one that's going on my list. There's your but homework. This, and
0: there's my homework. So, um, well, great. Well, I, I love that. That's fantastic. Little little something extra to love Blue Oyster Cult for. I love I love loving ba- loving the bands that I love even more. You know. There you so, go. Um, well, all right. We come to kind of a unique uh, crossroad here because our number three is identical. Exactly. And, um, I was surprised, but yeah, but it I, worked out great. Yeah, it worked out perfectly. So we we met, we literally met in the middle, and we
1: did not pre-plan this. this no. was totally off the cuff. We I, just figured this out
0: this morning. This was completely anonymous. When when Keith and I come up with these these lists, we come up with them completely separate from right. each other. We don't talk about it. We don't discuss it. We don't come up with some sort of plan or. A, we come up with our separate list and then we get together, and usually the day of, right? We sit down right before we the episode and we say okay we go through our list and we d- determine where's their overlap where's they're not and so it was it was really cool when we sat down and we came to number three and it was i'm gonna let you tell them ozzy osborne randy Rhodes tribute yeah this is um this was this was released originally in 87 i believe so yeah about five years after randy had passed right um It was recorded in eighty one, I believe. Yes. Um and this is pretty special. Uh there this is this is a snapshot of a moment in time that
1: we will never get back again. No, we'll never get to see this in person. As a matter of fact, we may never get to see it at all because as far as the general public knows, there's no pro shot footage of this tour. Right. Uh, there is pro shot footage of this tour after Randy passed with Brad Gillis on guitar. Um, and as a matter of fact, uh, the next album after Dyer of a Madman is actually from this tour, but it's with Brad Gillis on guitar. It's The album is called Speak of the Devil, mm-hmm. and all they do is Black Sabbath songs. They don't do any of Randy's material because Ozzy felt it was too early. It was was too soon to do that. He couldn't bring himself to do it. And uh, they had, uh, Ozzy had uh, another album uh, that he was uh, obligated to do for Jet Records Mm -hmm. for his contract. And uh, so they released a live album off of the Diary of a Madman tour with Brad Gillis on guitar with all Black Sabbath songs. So they waited until the time was right to release the Ozzy Osbourne Randy Rhodes tribute, which I guess was 5 years later. Yeah, and and it's it, it is it's very
0: powerful to I mean, you know, you listen to the studio stuff these guys did and and again, it's great, but to listen to them play live together. And and there's some there's just something really special about and part of the reason this made I wanted to make sure this made my list for this reason is because it is so iconic and it is it is it just it is it, it is a capture of a moment in time that is so unique and and of course that's we played off of this we played that outtake uh, right the d, d uh, outtake yeah. outtake when we uh, did the uh, the uh, guitarist episode and so in even that takes you sort of down the rabbit hole a little further cuz you get randy's voice right you know you get him talking and you get something that you don't normally get
1: um, it's not a live version. I mean, he's in the studio doing it, but it's... Um, but it takes you in the studio with him. With him. It's almost as if you're journey. sitting right beside him while he's recording it. Yeah. It's a special, special thing, uh, especially for me being a huge Randy Rhoads fan. Absolutely. When this album came out, of course, the live stuff is incredible. And then they threw this little D outtake at the end of it. I had tears in my eyes. Yeah, It was just a, it's a special album. Yeah, it, it's... It's beautiful stuff,
0: and and it's it's great to be able to have it. I'm glad that they, I'm glad that Ozzy and and you know Randy's family decided that they wanted to do this. They wanted to release it, and and Ozzy penned this incredible, I know, letter, um, and I forget where it was. The letter in. Was it part of the liner notes, or was it was it published in like it's, Hit Parade or Rolling Stone or something like that? Well,
1: now the uh, there's there was an article that ran, that Ozzy wrote for Hit Parade magazine. Okay, uh, and I mean, this, yeah, and this was right after Randy died, but there is a letter on the back of the album that Ozzy wrote. Okay, for the tribute album, right? Um, so you can that's on the back of it. You can actually read it, and on the uh, inside sleeve, there is a letter from Miss Dolores Rhodes, mm-hmm. Randy's mother. Mm-hmm. Uh, about Randy and D. you know yeah, the one yeah what D was written for yeah uh, so there's a lot of extras if you buy this album on vinyl you get a lot a lot of uh, photographs you know uh, glimpses into the relationship between Ozzy and Randy mm-hmm. which was one of the greatest uh, duos of all time sure in in my opinion I mean you've got Lennon and McCartney you got Simmons and Stanley and right. you got so many different uh, Dynamic duos, if you will, in rock music, Ozzy and Randy has to be right there at the top. Oh, for sure. They developed this rapport with one another, and they uh, they worked well together in the studio. Uh, Randy brought something out of Ozzy that wasn't there previously with yeah. Black Sabbath. Yeah. Uh, Randy gave Ozzy an opportunity to uh, write and and be more a part of the uh, creative process, mm-hmm. whereas in Black Sabbath. Uh, Tony or Geezer would just hand Ozzy, you know, a tape and say, here, put some words to this right, or whatever. And uh, Randy actually brought Ozzy into the writing process. Uh, that's how Goodbye to Romance uh, yeah. was written. Yeah, Ozzy had a tune in his head, and Randy said, what's that tune you're humming? And Ozzy was like, that's just something I, you know, got in my mind. So, well, Randy would say, well, let's sit down. Let's write it. Right. So he, and Ozzy would have never dreamed of doing that in Sabbath. So they had a very special uh relationship in the studio and of course live if uh they would uh play off of each other. Right. Uh they had this whole thing going that Ozzy didn't have with Sabbath there mm-hmm. either. Sure. So uh I can see why Ozzy was so devastated when Randy Absolutely. When Randy died and uh, as as were a lot of people. Yeah. Well, and and categorically
0: I would imagine most people would say that the two best albums that
1: Ozzy put out were those two that Randy plays on. I would agree. Well, they are for me anyway. Yeah. I mean, and not, not to take anything away from no. any of the other stuff because Ozzy has made great records with Zach Wilde and Jackie Lee, too. Absolutely. But the stuff with Randy is special to it's me. Something special. All right, so what uh, what song do you want to play off of off of this particular album? That's like asking me to pick a favorite child. <laughs> Which child do you yeah. like better than the rest? Okay, I think I think for this particular instance, I think we'll go with "I Don't Know" live. All right, All right we're gonna play this, and there's uh, there's some special s- stuff
0: that we're gonna kind of uh, you're gonna hear uh, as we kind of fade into it, and we're gonna let you hear some of Randy doing his thing, especially as well. So let's play this. We'll come back. Oh, my So that was i don't know and that was off the tribute album the live album of uh ozzy and randy doing what they do best man yes that's um just an iconic album it really is I, I, I when you sort of think about live albums that and i know we were talking about too in the criteria that we sort of used to <clears throat> you know uh, as far as uh what how they made our lists you know we were talking about albums that meant something to each of us as well as albums that were iconic sort of unto themselves in many respects and this to me handily falls into both of those
1: categories i would agree with that yes and really you know with my top three live albums and this, this one being number three and mm-hmm. for me and number three for you as well it was hard uh the other two above it and when I say they're above this album, I only mean by like a small margin. Okay, <laughs> I mean tomorrow, a fraction I, of a fraction of a fraction. And I reserve the I reserve the right to change my mind. Sure, uh, this could be number one t- for tomorrow, me tomorrow. Right, uh, it really depends on the mood that I'm in. But um, in in the in the way that I chose my top five, I had to uh, uh, investigate into a lot of different criteria as to mm-hmm. what made. What spot for me right so I did labor over it a bit, yeah yeah, yeah, well
0: I, and that was the same sort of the same thing for me the the my top three I knew they were in the top three it was determining where in the top three that they they fell that makes know? sense yeah and uh yeah for sure so well that i i i I have to say I, I'm to be honest with you I don't really care if you're an Ozzy fan or a Randy fan go get this album because y- you will become I think a fan of those guys, uh, especially Randy Rhodes. Um, after you listen to this album, I mean, I, I genuinely believe that.
1: I believe that. I mean, if you're if you're a metal fan, if you love this kind of music, and you're not sure about you know what do I get, what do I spend my money on, well, this one's worth every penny, every last penny, yes. for sure. So, um,
0: all right, well, let's uh, let's move to number two. My number two on the list. Number two. Number two coming in at number two. Uh, is Rush, Exit Stage Left. Excellent I, choice. I mean, first of all, I'm a huge Rush fan. I don't think I make any secret of that fact. Um, this was the second live album that they had actually done after All the World's a Stage. Um, it's a little more polished in terms of between the two. All the World's a Stage is probably a little bit more grittier in terms of the live album stuff. Uh I know f- for a fact uh, that you know this album, they spent some time kind of fine-tuning this album. I mean, when they were editing it and putting it together, because the truth of the matter is, Rush, these three guys, they're perfectionists. They want to be sure that they're putting out the very best, and even if it's a live capture, you know, that's one of the things that I think fascinates me about about them in general is and I've heard this from people who've seen them live and then of the live stuff that I've seen of them, which is it's amazing how, um, they, they obviously go to great lengths to make sure that the quality of what they're putting out there live is just, I mean, it is grade A stuff. You, you just, it's not, there's not a bad note hit. It's there's nothing missed. Um, and this really hits me in particular where I live because two of my favorite Rush albums are Moving Pictures and Permanent Waves. Right. And so this was recorded during those tours. And um, and, and I, I just I, – I, I think that's one of the reasons why I like it so much because it sort of personally spotlights those two albums and the songs off of those albums. Um, the song I've picked is a little bit – I think it's one a lot of people know, but it's one that's a little more unconventional – and uh and and i i want to be sure that I, I pronounce it right but it's la via strangiato. Oh yes, this is a great one. And um and we're just going to play a piece of this where obviously it's a, it's like a 10 minute song so we're not going to play the whole thing. But uh this song originally came actually off the Hemispheres album. And um and and i love the fact that it's 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 italian for like strange village or weird city, which is perfect for me. <laughs> um and uh, it's fully instrumental. There's no Getty's not singing on it or anything like that. But they're all playing on it, and it was actually inspired by a dream of of Alex. Alex had this dream, and doing what they do best, they put it down in, into music. And so we're it's broken down into like twelve sections, and and so we're actually the the, the piece that I want to play for you of this song. Actually comes from three of the sections, and 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 in fact they're the last three sections of the song, uh, basically. So so let's play a little bit of this, and then we'll we'll come back on the other side, and we'll we'll talk a little bit more about it. Well, that was uh, a little bit of uh, La Via Strangiato, and, uh, and that was the last sort of three acts of the song, Monsters and then the Strangiato theme and then A Farewell to Things. And um, I, I I love the the just sort of the ending of that song, and I was telling you as we were listening to it, if you kind of listen to the Strangiato theme that, that comes at the beginning, toward the beginning of the song, and at the end, you can tell by the time they get to the end, man, they are driving it home, buddy. I mean, they yeah. are
1: just they are going for it. I so. got that... Uh that feeling that you get when you're playing it live. Yeah, that's right. You know, it's uh, something about the adrenaline rush or something of yeah. performing live, you know, I can speak from experience. Uh, there's just something about it. You know, it's a special feeling yeah. when you're on that stage. You know, the first, uh, the first time uh, when I got on stage for the first couple of songs, and it was actually that way, you know, a lot, more often than not, I would say, anytime I ever got on stage for the first couple of songs, I was nervous Nelly, I had the butterflies uh but I was focused right. and those nerves kind of helped me focus and sure. s- and stay but towards the, by, you know middle of the end of the set I was feeling my feeling my Wheaties, so to speak yeah. and uh the nerves were gone and I was just letting it letting it flow. Yeah. And I think that's I think that's true with most musicians uh even these even the pros will tell you. Man, I still get butterflies before I go on the stage. Oh, I, I can only That believe nervous it. energy.
0: Oh yeah. Well, you know, you especially these guys that are playing these massive to these massive crowds, you can only imagine because you know, I mean, there's got to be that thing in their brain of, I want to do a good job. I don't want to disappoint my fans. You know, disappoint the fans. Right. And um, and at the same time, there's this uh, there's got to be this element I would imagine, of uh, uh, you know, if I'm going to play something live, I want it to. You know, I want there to be kind of a specialness to it too. You know, I don't want it to just be a rehash of what we did in the studio. If they they can go listen to that if they want to. Yeah, this you know want want this to be something special for the fans. So it's
1: cool to add lib a
0: little bit. Yeah, absolutely. most musicians do, and uh, and these guys I think they they do that really well. I mean, there there is enough with them, uh, although they are they are very polished and they they uh, they want to put out a really high quality product uh you can tell they they're they're having fun. They're they're playing with it and then they're they're making it, you know, they're making it unique and special when they're playing live too. So um well that's Rush. That's Exit Stage Left. That was my number 2. What's your number 2?
1: My number 2 is my number 2 all-time favorite band. Okay. One Iron Maiden. Iron Maiden. Live After Death. Nice. This album was uh off the Power Slave tour. Mm-hmm. Uh I actually had planned to go see this show when it came through Nashville. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a quick backstory, in uh, January of 1985, I had gone to see KISS, and it had snowed while we were there. It had started snowing on the way to the show. Didn't think much of it. The weatherman wasn't giving it you know, much importance or anything. Mm-hmm. And uh, when we got out of the hall at the end of the show, there was six or eight inches on the ground. We were it, it caught the uh, state of Tennessee completely off guard. Salt trucks hadn't been out yet, oh. hadn't done anything to the interstates. So, and this was before cell phones. Mm-hmm. So, we made it home barely, wow. and then my buddy that was driving got stuck in my driveway and had to stay overnight. But uh, my my mother and father were uh, nervous wrecks. Until I finally walked through the door. Oh, right. Because sure. they knew we were out in that mess. Uh-huh. Well, then, then the next month, February came along, Iron Maiden came on this tour. And I was I bu- some buddies of mine said, hey, man, if you'll drive us, we'll pay for your ticket. Yeah. I'm like, well, sign me up. Let's yeah, go. Yeah, for sure. Well, that night, a really dense, heavy fog set in. And you couldn't see 10 feet out in front of you. And after the kiss debacle, mom and dad said, Uh No. <laughs> oh wow! So I didn't get to go. Oh no! And uh, this was probably one of the coolest tours they ever did. The, this was off the Power Slave album, on the heels of the Power Slave album, mm-hmm. which had an Egyptian uh, motif yeah, type great of like album. mummies and stuff. You know, the the uh, the Iron Maiden. Anybody who knows the Iron Maiden album covers know what I'm talking about. Sure. You know, very intricate, very detailed. And then, then there's the story of Eddie. You know, as as it goes along, with right? Them. And uh, so this was a very cool show, a very cool stage set that they had. And uh, I was looking forward to going, and I didn't get to go. But then the next album they released was Live After Death, which sort of commemorated nice. that show and just rubbed it in a little bit more. <laughs> here you go, Keith. We know you didn't get to come see the show, so we're going to release this on a live album and let you see it. Yeah, here you it. go, buddy. Here's some salt for that wound. Uh, I even have it on DVD, by the way. Nice. But uh, So I do get to see it. <laughs> wasn't there, but I got to see it, but I do get to see it. But um, this, was, this was a fantastic album as well. Um Iron Maiden has done, you know, a few live albums, but this one's the best. Cool. Uh I, I mentioned earlier that I had just recently acquired their newest live album, um, Book of Souls live chapter, and it's it's great as well. Mm-hmm. But it this is this live album is Iron Maiden at their the height of their popularity. At the peak, yeah, this was when they were. Everybody was an Iron Maiden fan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know? yeah, exactly. I mean, this is like this is like a your Scorpions worldwide live. Right. I mean, that was at the peak of their Absolutely. popularity, and you kind of have that live album to sort of commemorate that as a keepsake. Sure. And uh, that's what this one is. And sure. uh, it's this is a fantastic album. That's great. I and I I do like uh
0: that that the Power Slave album, um. And because you you actually introduced that to me here fairly recently, and um, I, I'm just I'm taken with it. Iron Maiden is an is such an interesting, because they're again they're like Scorpions, like Pink Floyd. They're just they're they're this band that's just been around forever. You know, it just yeah. feels like. And I know they've had over the years they've had a revolving door of 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 musicians that have sort of come and gone, but at, but they're I know that the core of who they are has been protected very very heavily. Um, and, um, and, and I'm, I'm fascinated with the fact that they just keep making music. I mean, they're like a train that nobody's going to get in front of and nobody's going to stop. And I,
1: they just keep going. They really do. And there, there's that when they come now, uh, on their live tours and stuff like that, they're not a, a, a retro band. They're, they're right. not, they're not. Just going back and doing a bunch of their Greatest hit stuff. Great stuff, you know. Stuff. Well, that's one of the things about Iron Maiden. They never had a greatest hit. Well, right. but I mean, yeah. Great, no, you I know mean, what I'm saying, know, though. With, yeah. yeah, yeah. They're not going back and doing... They're not a nostalgia act, right, put it that exactly. way. Right, exactly. They're still putting out albums, and when they go on tour, they tour that album, just like they did in the good old days. Sure. Because uh, on this album, there's a lot of stuff off of Power Slave. They even do Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner live, which is, you know, a long, like an 18-minute <laughs> song or so. Yeah. And they do it live. Uh, on this album, and so they've never been one to just stand pat on their history or anything like that. They're going to continue to keep making music, and uh, the cool thing about it is uh, currently uh, they still have their, uh, I guess their most popular lineup Mm -hmm. as far as the musicians go. Mm -hmm. Uh, All the major players are back and still in the band, Sure. Um, so this is one of those bands that um, we were speaking earlier that all of these bands that we have on our list are still doing it for the most part. I mean, I mean, Rush just recently decided to stop touring. Right. Uh, but by and large, these bands are still out there doing it, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, they have been doing it for years and years and years, and it's a testament to their, uh, to how good they are and what they, what they do. This is what they do for a living. Yeah. You know, they're, well, our popularity is over, you know, we got, I guess we'll just go sit down and. <laughs> right. Just uh, wither away and just. And hope, yeah. live off of our royalties or whatever. Right. They're not like that. This is in their blood. That, and, that's awesome. And I can speak from experience. I, just having seen Iron Maiden last year, mm-hmm. it's, they've still got the same. And they may, you know, be a little bit more sore in the morning than they used to be. <laughs> right. But they've still got it. Yeah. They can still do this. Yeah. Bruce Dickinson is a machine. Yeah, and so is Steve Harris for that matter. Well, they got to be. I mean, to to do what they've do and to have done it for as. Long, I mean, these guys have got to be what in their late sixties. I would I would say maybe seventies. I don't know if they're quite seventies or not. That, I would say sixties for sure. Sixties for sure. Yeah,
0: I mean that's you know, and I mean you know anymore. I mean that's not old, you know, or anything like that. Sixties well, is the new fifty, right? Yeah, yes, sixties is new fifty. That's right. So, uh, but I mean, it is impressive the fact that that they they dedicate themselves to their craft they dedicate themselves to their music they dedicate themselves to their fans and they just you know what we're just we're going to keep putting it putting it out there because that's what we love to do
1: and what i love so much about this band is they have achieved this for lack of a better term a cult following sure without any radio hits right uh they've just gone solely on their music and their live shows basically by word of mouth mm-hmm. you know by uh their fans. And uh I've got a lot of D V D footage uh at home of Iron Maiden stuff and these fans are rabid. They are just they're crazy. Sure. And Iron Maiden will go places that other pla other bands won't go. Mhm. They were the first band or first metal band to ever go behind the Iron Curtain. Oh wow. Yeah. You know, back in during that time in the eighties. Sure. Uh so that's um that's a testament to where they'll, what they'll do. They'll play anywhere, absolutely, and their fans are everywhere.
0: That's uh, that's that's awesome.
1: Well, uh, do you have uh, what song
0: do you want to play off of uh, this album?
1: Well, here again, this is another tough one, but I have always loved the live version of Revelation. Okay, all right.
0: Well, let's take a listen
1: to this, and we'll come back. We'll talk about it on the flip side. that was revelations revelation
0: off of revelation off of uh the uh live, the
1: live after, after, after death, death. yes, yes. <laughs> of course this was uh originally off of the uh piece of Mind album, album
0: right yeah. yep that's I, I i i absolutely they really um they're another band that you can tell, and you can tell, especially listening listening to that, that they have a they have a real camaraderie with uh, with the audience, with their fans, while they're right actually playing the song. And now,
1: this one was um, recorded at Long Beach Arena in Los Angeles. Oh, nice,
0: absolutely. Well, that uh, that was your number two, right? My number two. All right, so let's take a look at my number one, and coming in at number one is uh, Dream Theater. Score. Score. Um, now, this one is a little bit of the odd man out because these guys are not commercially as well known in terms of, you know, there's they, they have a very, and I'm certainly one of them, rabid fan base. Um, but this album, and this actually was one that you introduced to me uh, just within the last year or so. Right. I personally think that this may be the most perfect live album I've ever heard. Um I there is to me there's not a bad song on it. There's not a bad note on it. It moves me every time I listen to it. I have a hard time just listening to one part of it. Yeah. I want to listen to the whole thing from top to bottom. Um this is what I consider to be sort of the 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 quintessential core dream theater group you know this is before mike portnoy portnoy left almost can't pronounce that portnoy left um and there is there's an emotional element to this live album for me that i connect with on a really a really a very visceral level um it there's something about these performances and even when, because the song that I picked is is Octavarium, which is a a long song, it's like a 26 minute song unto itself. We're only going to play play a portion of it. But to me, the difference between the sort of studio version of that song and this version of that, again, going back to what we we've kind of said a couple of times, which is there's an emotional depth, there's an emotional element to the live versions, and and you get this. There's just an extra layer to it, and that's the way this is for me, on all of the stuff that they play. Now um, I know this this came off of uh, the uh, uh, six degrees of turbulence. This was sort of wasn't that was this part of that tour? Or right after that album had come out, because I know they play the whole thing in its entirety. Well, they they uh, play
1: that that six degrees of Inter- air or the, turbulence. That's the the
0: song and it's in its right,
1: entirety. Well, the right. Octavarium is off the Octavarium album. Right, right, right. And it's uh, this tour is basically
0: it's their twentieth anniversary. Yeah,
1: it's really an anniversary tour, right. and it's after the Octavarium. the newest album at the time was Octavarium. Octavarium. Uh So, yes, this is a it's kind of a, a retrospect for them. Mm-hmm. They had, they were celebrating twenty years and they uh they recorded this at a Radio City Music Hall in New York City, mm-hmm. which you know that's that's special, yeah in and of itself, yeah um and of course the the dream theater audience is a pretty um I won't call it small audience because there's millions of dream theater fans out there, but it's not like some of the other bands like Rush or something like that. Right. Not everybody knows who dream theater is, right, so it's kind of hard for dream theater to to pack. A stadium or sure. something like that, that's right. just not going to happen. Right. Not enough people are into their music and know who they are, but they can definitely pack Radio City Music Hall, and uh, I I have this on DVD as well, and uh, they interview a lot of uh, the fans, and some of them come from other countries mm-hmm. to see this show, yeah. because it was special. It was yeah. a 20th anniversary, one-off mm-hmm. type of show, where they did uh, material dating all the, all the way back to before um images and words. Yeah. Uh they yeah. had a they had an album that uh was called When Dream and Day Unite um mm-hmm. uh, that when they were known as Majesty before mm-hmm. they were known as Dream Theater. Right. Uh that they play some stuff off of. Mm-hmm. So they really try to get as much off of each album as they can uh to put into this show. And of course it closes with Octavarium. Yeah. Which is like the the grand finale. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this song is epic in bold capital letters. Yes. You know, E-P-I-C. Yeah. is epic with an yeah. exclamation point. Yeah. Uh, there is so much going on in this song, and the, the fact that we're only going to get to play a little snippet of it doesn't even really begin No. to give you the full picture of this
0: song. It really doesn't give it justice. I mean, it, it it's, it's a... Uh, it, it, this is this is uh, probably an extreme case of l- of just literally wetting the appetite. Oh yeah, uh, because it, it's I mean this is a this is three minutes. This is about three and a half, maybe four minutes of of twenty six minutes
1: of yeah, just it's just pure little, joy. It's a taste. <laughs> it, it, it's pure joy. I mean the whole thing is. It's, and, it's, it's like one of those things where you know, uh, it's like opening up a bag of potato chips. And eating one chip and putting the bag away. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You yep. can't just eat one. No,
0: I'm good. Just the one is just, all I. Just need. one chip, no, thank no, you. No, <laughs> no, 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 You'll have that whole bag gone uh, in no time flat. It, yeah, this is, um, you know, and this is another example too of of a band who uh, they made really good use of a symphonic orchestra. Yes. Um, and that plays heavily, I know, into the second half. Or the second part of the of the concert, uh, especially, um, and very much a part of the band and you know the songs that they're playing. Um, but this uh, this clip that's coming this is the, the sort of the third act of five acts of this song Octavarium, and it's at the the title of it is Full Circle, and it 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 was written by Portnoy as a tribute sort of a musical tribute to all of his influences I mean everything from Pink Floyd to to Genesis to Beatles to I mean you name it I mean it's it's in there It's right. it's this nice it's this really nice marinated stew I mean it's just it's just and it's beautiful the way he he sort of strings it and threads it all together and this to me part of the reason I chose this was because I I feel like that this particular section does a really good job of showing off all of all five of the guys um, in a fairly short period of time, um, and 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 so you get you get James's vocals and Jordan doing his thing on the on the keyboards and and, and so forth, and uh, so I want to play just a little bit of this, and then we'll come back and we'll talk a little bit more about this on the other side. So that was uh, that was literally a taste yeah. of Octavarium. Uh, there's so much more to that song, and and I and again, and I know that that these guy this is the odd man out. A lot of people, there's there may be a lot of people listening to this that don't know who Dream Theater is, or if they do, they don't know them well. I would highly recommend, and th- and and maybe this is because this is how I was introduced to them, and. And it, it because it is such a nice smattering of of their their uh, their repertoire, you know, uh, up until that point right. where they were. Yeah. And it it just it, it covers a lot of ground, but there's so much good on this live performance, and it's for me, it is just hands down hard to match. Um, just how well these guys play together, and just the level of quality of what they do and how they do it when they're live, when they do it together. There there again, there's an emotional depth there that that really just hits me, hits me where I live. And so I, I just I absolutely I love Dream Theater. I love that this live album. I love all their albums, frankly. And uh and I, I just I can't recommend it enough. So
1: Oh, I agree. I agree completely. This is another this is one that would have made my top ten. Yeah. It would be like number six or seven or something yeah. like that. Um, an honorable mention, if you will. For sure. Uh, but but I, I, I was so close to putting it in my list, too. I was right <laughs> there. I'm like, oh, man. And, you know, then these other ones hit me. I, well, I got to have that one. Yeah. You know, how yeah. can I leave out this one, you know, or whatever? And, and mainly, I guess, it's because uh, the ones that I've chosen, my top five, are really more indicative of my youth. Sure. Uh, the live albums that I bought, you know, when they were still, uh, for lack of a better term relevant mm-hmm. I guess you could say now they're more of a nostalgia thing it's you really have to go back in time to you know to get into these albums because they're all from the 70s and 80s right uh so that's really you know how i based my choices yeah and score you know came out much later yeah uh it definitely one of my favorites but it just didn't meet the, the when I set a criteria for my live album top five the score just didn't fit the criteria. Fit fit into that. Right. It just didn't fit into that that bubble. Makes perfect sense. So definitely, I mean, I agree with you 100%. It could just as easily be number one for me as well. (laughs) Yeah. But it didn't fit the criteria that I set for myself for this list. Of what you were looking for. And it
0: it makes total sense. And and again, every one of these, you know, when we pick these because we we pick them apart from each other, we don't pick them together as a team. We're picking ones that hit us uh, in, in very specific ways. And so... Uh, my criteria, as well, coming into it, was uh, ones that kind of hit me in a in a very yeah. You know, I, I guess kind of going back to that, that idea of is this something I could just sort of pop in or put on TV if I'm watching the video version of it, the actual concert or so you know so forth, and just sort of starting from top and going all the way through because it's just it's just too good to interrupt you know kind of thing. Agreed. So, um, well, uh, I, I, I can't wait cause I know, I, I'm pretty sure I know what your number one is. Um, and, and I, it, they absolutely deserve to be on this list of top live albums. Who is your number one?
1: Well, I think anybody that knows me at all is going to know this is going to be a Kiss album. Yeah. Uh, and my first Kiss album, one of my first Kiss albums I'd ever got was Kiss Alive 2. Mm. So that sort of set the stage, you know, for Kiss Alive uh live acts, you know, live music and recordings and stuff. Sure. But uh a little bit later on, not too much later on, but I think I got it for Christmas as a matter of fact, like Christmas of eighty one or two or something. Okay. Christmas eighty one I think it was. Right. Uh I got Kiss Alive. Nice. And up until that point, you know, I really hadn't heard a lot off of Kiss Alive. Mm-hmm. Alive Two was the album that I was sort of brought into. Um and I love Alive, too. I think it's a great album. Right. But there's just something about that first Alive Kiss album. Yeah. And I think most people would agree because this was the album that uh, put Kiss on the map. Yeah. Uh, up until that point, Kiss had released three albums. Uh, their first album, self-titled uh, Harder Than Hell and then uh, Dressed to Kill. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think um, album sales for Kiss was not very good at the time. They were struggling. uh uh, their management was, uh, living off of credit cards, uh, trying to finance the tours yeah. and everything off of credit cards. Yeah. They didn't have any money. Uh, Paul Stanley even told a story about before a live came out, he needed some extra money. So he went to Bill Alcoyne, his manager into his office. Bill had his shoes up on his desk and Paul was going to go in there and ask for more money. And Bill had a hole in the bottom of his shoes. So Paul... Walked back out. Yeah, I just turned around and he, walked back out. He just, well, I can't ask him for more money. Right. You know, uh, the guy needs a pair of shoes. <laughs> uh, now, of course, they all became rich later. Right. <laughs> yeah. And shoes weren't a problem. Right. Uh, or anything else, for that matter. Uh, they had money to burn. But up until that point, KISS didn't have any money. The The label was, uh, uh, was nearly in bankruptcy. Right. And uh, last-ditch effort, they decided or the management, I guess, said, what do you think about putting out a live album? You know, and I think it was, I think the consensus was, well, this will be a memento for the fans. You right. Know, this will be something for the fans, and uh, their live shows was really where it was at anyway. Right. To really, you really want to get the essence of Kiss, you go see them live. Oh, yeah.
0: They are showmans for sure. Uh, so
1: they put out a live album, and uh, they didn't think anything of it. They thought, well, let's, you know, as nobody cares about Kiss. We're nobody. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, people at that time, didn't really buy live albums right. live albums wasn't a thing wasn't it? right until now yeah uh kiss put out a live and it absolutely exploded wow i mean this was this is one of the live albums that when i and i use the term quintessential a lot mm-hmm. yeah but that's the honest truth mm-hmm. uh this is a quintessential live album yeah for anybody yeah uh that's why it's at the top of my list because sure. I think Kiss set the bar for live albums. Yeah, I would agree. I right. would absolutely agree. And
0: even if you're not really a Kiss fan, and I'm I'm not near the Kiss fan that you are, I I, I appreciate them and I am a fan of their music. But even if you're not a, really a fan of them, it's hard to miss what these guys did in terms of setting the setting that bar for live performances, that showmanship, that connection with the fans in a live venue. And um, it's really something that they do very,
1: very, very well. Well, another thing about this particular album, and I think this happens a lot with a lot of live albums. Uh, You had mentioned it on your Rush Mm -hmm. a while ago uh, about how when they go in and edit, you know, they want to make everything perfect. Kiss is no different. Uh, Right. This, a lot of people will will cry foul because, well, it's not truly live because they went in there and re-recorded some parts and polished it up. Right. <laughs> but Paul Stanley said in one of his, in his book, he said, "Yeah, sure, we went in there and cleaned up a few things and mm-hmm. fixed some stuff." And who wants to hear a guitar that's out of tune? Right. Exactly. You know who wants to hear something uh, that's you know because mistakes are made live. Right. You don't get a chance to just go back and fix it. Exactly. It, it's out there. It's done. Yeah. Uh, so when they're going to release a live album, uh, it's the same as, you know, if you're going to put a product out there, you want the best Mm -hmm. that it can be. And if there's a mistake or if something needs to be cleaned up, you know, re-recorded, dubbed over, whatever. Right. Then you're going to put out the best product possible. Sure. And, uh, when I bought this album as a, when I got this album for Christmas as a kid and I listened to it. I had no idea that there was anything cleaned up, well, and that was what I was going to ask did you I mean, could you even tell no, I couldn't tell yeah, I couldn't tell any different uh maybe it's the untrained ear, I don't know, right, but I couldn't tell anything different. It all sounded live to me and it sounded sure. fantastic, and quite honestly, I didn't care right <laughs> right. I don't care if they fixed it right well and and it's funny
0: too because it, you know it, it it it's this old thing of there's a catch twenty two if they hadn't fixed it and had put it out there just as it was with whatever the problems were that they deemed were problems, somebody would have cried foul then too. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, and, and so they did what was, and, and and I I have no problem with bands doing this either. They did what they felt was in the best interest of the album, of the fans, of, of the music. I mean, if you're going to put something together, Why not make it the best that it can possibly be, even if you have to go in and kind of edit it a little bit or clean it up a little bit? I don't I don't understand the problem with that, because the truth of the matter is, I personally think that people are so unforgiving sometimes that if you would have left it alone, the backlash would have been far greater than any controversy caused as a result of of them deciding to go in and. Tweak a, tweak a few things here and there.
1: Well, you can't please everyone. Exactly. I mean, somebody's going to find something to complain about yeah. at some point. You know, uh, well, they went there and, and re-recorded this or cleaned that up. Well, okay. And? Sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't have a problem with that. Nope. I'm good. Now, I mean, and Kiss will tell you themselves, if you ask Gene Simmons, Paul Stanley, Ace Peter, any of them, they're not virtuosos. Right. They're not perfect music. They're not dream theater. Right. You know, right. dream theater can pull that off. Yeah. Uh, Kiss is, I mean, they'll lack of a better term, maybe a little bit more sloppy, Mm -hmm. you know. But Kiss wasn't just concerned about standing still and making sure they played every note cleanly. Exactly, They were moving around the stage. They were entertaining you, breathing fire, blowing stuff up, (laughs) uh, bleeding out their mouth, uh, (laughs) making their guitar smoke. You know, they gave you a... A A show. A show. Yeah, it was a visual experience. And I think this album captures that. I I think when you listen to it front to back... Mm -hmm. You, I, I know the, I know for a fact that when I bought this album, when I got this album in 1981, I had not seen Kiss Live yet. It was, you know, I, I, all, I, all I could do is listen to this album and let myself go and mentally put myself there. Mm-hmm. You know, when I'm listening to it, put myself in the audience. Right. And what do I see? Right. How do I feel? Right. That album gets it. Yeah, it puts you right there. It does. It puts me on the front row. Well, uh, do you have a, a particular song you want to play off of this? One? I think I do. And sorry, ladies and gentlemen, you're not going to hear rock and roll all night live here. <laughs> go listen to your local classic rock, right or go see the them in concert.
0: Frankly, or, yeah, because
1: they may play it there
0: too. I, so I
1: think they just might. <laughs> but the one that I want to play is a little bit lesser known, and uh, it's at the end of the album. It's of. Uh, it's kind of along the same lines of Rock and Roll All Night. So this is kind of similar to it. Okay. Uh, let's play Let Me Go Rock and Roll. All right. Let's take a listen.
0: that was off the first kiss alive
1: album let me go rock and roll that's
0: a great that's it and that that's the that's the finale of that that's the encore yeah
1: yeah, that's great i'm sure they probably had well back then back in the day they would come out for like three or four encores sure all right they would be done and then come out and do a song and be done and come out and do a song and so forth and so on like that uh but yeah that was that's at the end of that album that's nice um and it's we of course we cut it off short but there's this long jam session, yeah, at the end of it, yeah, where they're just kind of having fun and interacting with the crowd and um, putting on a show. That's excellent, man. And
0: yeah. they, they, I, they, I know if you really, if you listen to that song in its entirety there on that that album, uh, to hear the way that they really pull the crowd into it, which I really like. You know, I, I, and that's one thing. You know, you think, well. I, you go to the you go to see somebody live and and you I, you know you want to feel a part of it, I think as yeah. as the crowd. You want to feel like you're a part of the show.
1: What well, Gene and Paul always said in, in many interviews, when they were putting the band together, the reason they did things the way that they did is because they put themselves in the crowd mm-hmm. and they asked themselves, what would I want to see right You know, what would I want to see when I go to a concert? Do I want to watch four guys standing still? In a pair of blue jeans and a t-shirt, play a song. Right? No, right. I want a show. I want to be entertained. I want to feel like I'm part of it. Right. And that's exactly what they did.
0: It kind of reminds me a little bit of of uh, Paul O'Neill's philosophy with TSO. Oh yeah. You know, in 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 making sure that there's a real connection with with the audience. And you know, if they're going to show up, let's let's give them a show. And Kiss um,
1: Kiss pioneered that. Boy, they did. Um, and where did you say that, that that particular one was recorded? That's in Detroit, Michigan, at oh, Cobo okay. Hall. All right. So uh, right in Detroit there, was one, one. I'm sorry. Detroit was one of these cities that embraced Kiss early on. Sure. Before Kiss even got popular, before they be- blew up and became this phenomenon, Detroit got it. Yeah. For some reason. Yeah. They really embraced Kiss when not there a movie that came out back several years ago called like Detroit Rock City or something yeah. like that of course yeah. it was based on the song based on
0: the song yeah yeah um, well that that, I, that I, I do i i I appreciate so much the bar that they kind of set for everybody else because you know truthfully uh, those who those artists and bands who put out live albums and do a really good job at it I, in many respects have these guys to thank for it because you know they put it out there and said look this is what this is the way it ought to be done and like you said, it doesn't always sound the cleanest, but it does sound really, really, really excellent. So. Yeah, I mean
1: if they make a mistake, who cares? Yeah. Exactly. Is anybody gonna notice? Yeah, exactly. Nah, not really. It no. has to be pretty blatant, yeah. you know, for somebody to notice or yeah. something like that. So uh but yeah, I mean these guys they did it for me early on. They were not only exciting musically, they were exciting visually. Mm-hmm. And uh that album I think really brings that out. How does Alive Two in, does is it have that same vibe
0: as Alive? Do you think, or uh, because I, I don't know how much longer after uh, Alive Two comes out, and you said that that was Alive Two was your first live, is, that was your first live album? Did right. I hear that right? Yeah. Okay.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, Alive Two came out. Alive One, first of all, came out in 75, 75. 1975. Yep. Kiss released. Three studio albums, but back, that was back in the day when they were releasing two albums a year. Oh, wow. I mean, wow. You know, Destroyer and uh, Rock and Roll Over were both released in 76. Mm-hmm. Love Gun came in 77, mm-hmm. and then Did- Alive 2 came in 77. Wow. So it was only two years later. Wow. But you think if you think about uh, 1975 Kiss compared to, say, 1978 Kiss, you've mm-hmm. only got three years' difference. Right. But in that three years, they became the biggest band in the world. Yeah. I mean, they were setting records formerly held by the Beatles. Wow. So That's amazing. in a very short amount of time, they ascended to this super stardom. Mm-hmm. And uh, Alive 2, to me, I, I love the album, but it's only got three sides. Now, I'm going vinyl here mm-hmm. again. It's only three sides of live music. The fourth mm-hmm. side is five new studio cuts. Oh, really? Uh, and we'll talk about that on another podcast, sure. because there's a story there too. Interesting, But Alive 2 only has three sides, because Alive 1 was their first three albums, mm-hmm. uh, and Alive 2 was the next three albums, studio-wise. Studio mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, um, of course, now, when you're in 77 and 78, you're playing six albums worth of material Mm -hmm. well for live two they didn't want to repeat what they had on a live one so they only used the stuff that they were playing off of those you know albums four five and six yeah you know as far as studio albums go so there was less material because they were having to play now you got six albums worth of material instead of three right so the reason they did it that way is, is because they didn't have enough material to stretch it out into four sides. Gotcha. So the management said, well, let's go into the studio and cut some new songs that you guys have got in your back pocket or whatever. So then there are five songs, and one of them is a cover oh, wow. okay. uh, of, of material that's not live. Interesting. Hmm. And here again, there's, there's lots to talk about with those five oh, yeah. songs by itself. So. I, I can imagine. So we'll save that one for another, right. another podcast. Another time. So.
0: Well, uh, thanks for going on this journey of l- our favorite live albums. I, I you know, uh, it, 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 these are just, you're giving, you're, you know, I, I guess when we go through lists like this, they're getting a little bit of insight into our minds and kind of how our minds work. Scary place to yeah, be sometimes, Yeah, a know. really scary place. <laughs> just ask my wife. And um, so we hope that you've enjoyed it. And, and maybe you've heard something that you hadn't previously heard before. And if so, uh, you know, we're... We're constantly sort of looking to for opportunities to introduce people to this music.
1: And we're still looking for more live albums to listen to.
0: Absolutely. So here's how you can get in touch with us. Uh, you can go to our Facebook page. You can go to Between the Notes on our Facebook page, uh, on Facebook, and uh, and find us there. Drop us a comment. let a, uh, Put a review out there. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. In fact, we've got uh, an upcoming episode that is as a result of... Uh, of uh, Listener uh, request, right. and so uh, so so be be watching for that on a on a on a future episode. Um, but uh, you can get in touch with us through our Facebook page. You can also email us at btncast at gmail That's btncast at gmail So. Uh, drop us a line, let us know what you think what are your favorite live albums, what are the ones that you think we're just absolutely nuts for including on our list,
1: or not including or
0: not including on our list um, and uh, and we, we look forward to hearing from you and, and maybe then on a future episode we'll be able to maybe revisit this and talk some about uh, some others that you know maybe were honorable mentions or like you said, you know, if we had a top 10 instead of a top 5 or something like that So, uh, well thanks again we appreciate you coming along and uh, hope uh, all your live dreams come true when you <laughs> when you listen to this stuff. And uh, and again, I'm Rich and Keith, and we'll catch you on the flip side. Keep rocking.